This is the Living in Mid-Bloom podcast, lighthearted and heartfelt conversations about what it looks like to live, heal, and blossom in middle age. I'm your host, April Pruitt. Let's get our bloom on. In this episode, I talk about emotional difficulties and lack of self-care. Please do not listen if you believe any of these subjects may trigger you. The content of this episode is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. As always, seek guidance from your healthcare professional. Hi, Mid-Bloomers. Hope everyone is doing well today. I am excited to be interviewing a very interesting woman. Her name is Michelle Hill. Hi, Michelle. Hi, April. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing excellently. I'm so surprised it's so warm for October. Really? That's right. Where are you? In North Carolina? I am in North Carolina, and it is a warm day, over 80. Ugh. Oh. Yeah. No, we've got real fall weather here in St. Louis. It's like in the 50s. Oh, I love that. Yes. Leaves are falling. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. Me too. I just wish it were 50 here as well. (laughs) Right. Well, Michelle, right now you are a book and publishing consultant. I know you're a ghostwriter for pro athletes. You've written a couple of children's books and you're a Toastmaster and you participate in uh, panels of various topics. And you've got a book that's going to be released, well, next month on November 16th. It's called The Heart Swindler. Reclaim your heart and stop falling for liars, losers, and lunatics, which (laughs) sounds fascinating. And my first thought is, did this happen to you? Twice. Okay. It has happened to me. Once when I was first divorced in the early 2000s for money, and then the second one more recently for just, I think, for emotional manipulation. Mm. I don't know, maybe if it would have continued, it only had a two month shelf life because I knew what to look for. And my spirit, something in my spirit was not Mm -hmm. settled from Mm -hmm. almost the beginning. So that, uh, yeah. So I know what I'm talking about when I talk about heart swindlers, romance scams and narcissistic abuse. And I am a self-proclaimed, I have that personality that just attracts that type of person. And they usually go for women who are kind and nurturing and caring and, you know. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth because this is interesting. The person that's going to be on my first episode for the second season, her name is Petra Van Dale. And she is a life coach and she focuses on narcissistic and emotional abuse. So the same language that you're talking right now is what she was talking about. So it'll be interesting if you have a chance to to listen to the the interview. I'm doing part one and part two on the next couple of weeks. Oh, I will. That is is of great interest to me. And it's all under the umbrella of relationship deception. Yes. No matter if it's for money. And I just recently watched a Tinder swindler on Netflix. That was incredible. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. and the thing is, I because I've had narcissistic people in my family, and I asked her the question, I said, what do I do to attract these? And she said, well, it's not like there's something wrong with you, but like you said, someone is kind and trusting. They're assuming that they're like you and that yeah. they're showing their true selves, and they're absolutely not. So absolutely. You just nailed it. It's just like, and we're not tooting our own horn when we what? say kind and nurturing and caring. Exactly. We are at our core and we are very trusting by nature. And it, people they, find that as a weakness. They do. They do very often, most often. And yeah. that's a shame. That's a shame. So it's just learning the signs, you know, when we know that we attract those kind of people, because it's something in them that's that's missing, that they're attracted because they will never have those traits. And so it's just yeah. for us, it's not being anybody else than who we are. It's just knowing what to look for. Yeah. And then once you realize it, because, you know, with regard to family, these are people that I, I love and you realize that maybe that relationship will have to end. Because they won't let you change it. It's either going to continue as it is, or you're going to have to get out. Yes, it's their way or the highway. Yeah, yeah. Not fun. So right now, and I'm just so impressed by the people you've been in contact, whether it's a professional athlete or the coaches, just name a few so people can go, oh, wow, oh, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. And when you say ghostwriter, I say I'm a recovering ghostwriter. Oh, I, okay. I did that for six years and oh, okay. uh, it started sucking the life out of me. And so that's yeah. when I discovered my sweet spot of, oh, I love to coordinate projects. And that's what I do. So I have ghostwriters on my team now. They love what they do. And I'm so glad because I never want to do that again. So, yeah, that would be a lot of all on them. You're getting taking everything in that, and you seem like a more of an empath, so that's stressful. That's yeah, absolutely that's stressful. so, yeah. But I've interviewed uh, now, not for a book, but I've interviewed right. uh, Tony Dorsett, the famed cowboy running back from right, uh, right. Just it was an out of body experience because of he's so iconic, and he just remembered cowboys' plays from with precision. Oh, wow. And that was really, really great. Well, you were doing interviews as another position prior to the book stuff, but that's something Mm -hmm. you were involved in with interviewing these folks. I love to interview people, yes. (laughs) So being on the other side of it is is different (laughs) for me, but I love that too. But I, you know, John Nyland, the former cowboy. Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus, Mike Haynes from 49ers. Dr. Bennett Amalu from wow. that, that, the movie Concussion with Will Smith. Oh, yeah. And it was so cool to hear him wow. on the phone saying, like when Will Smith in the movie does, just tell the truth, you know, in that accent. I heard Dr. Bennett Amalu on the phone and he's talking about another book that he was doing. And he's saying, you know, he's trying to reveal the the high school athlete and keep your kids out of football, basically, because wow. of the concussion and, and the aftermath of that. But he was yeah. saying, just tell the truth. And it was just like watching wow. the movie. It was, again, very uh, surreal 
to be talking to somebody that that's um, fantastic you know, in my world, right, right, <laughs> hearing right. that accent, and it showed me how what a great job Will Smith did in the movie. But you know, wow. uh, Dan Reeves, who has gone on, you know, since since the interview, but I've interviewed him. So yeah, I've I've done cool. a few. I'm very cool. These guys are just so down to earth. Everybody wants to be listened to. You know, when I think about the books you've worked on with them, how they really have to to trust you at a certain level when they're sharing their truth. Yes. And, and those interviews were for a sports related website that somebody was doing. So I was the interviewer and and they would connect me with those. So those were connected with that, not connected with books, just so people, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, I get that. But for books, right. yeah, I had a formal, former uh, Philadelphia Eagle that said exactly what you just said. He just said, I haven't told these things even to my wife. And he had been married for, or was, has, is married for over 30 years. And he goes, I just feel comfortable with you. And that is the supreme compliment uh, compliment to me is just, you know, he had some some hotshot ghostwriter in California and he goes, I don't feel comfortable with him. I feel comfortable. And they can feel comfortable with me because it's not going anywhere. Yeah, they can feel your energy and and know that you're sincere. Yeah, and I'm real. What you see is what you get. And so that uh, is very complimentary. He, you know, he's still in the, do I want to do my book or not? I think Mm -hmm. I do. And Mm -hmm. just, if people are writing their own books, they don't realize until they're in it, how much work it is and how much of yourself you have to pour onto the pages. Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm working on a memoir and yeah, you know, Oh yeah. I'm like, Oh, I don't feel like touching that today. I don't, I can't, you know, but it's also catharsis and all of those things. But then there are times when I just like, Oh, let's just pretend nothing ever happened. You know? (laughs) Yes, you have to really pour yourself out onto every page and you have to bring up memories that, and as you're writing, other memories come up, new memories that, oh, wow, I didn't didn't remember that until now. Right, right. It's quite an experience and it takes a lot of time as you're probably finding out. Yes. I was thinking, oh, it'll take me about six months and then I'll go, but then it was like, what am I talking about? It's you don't just write. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. Yeah. Well, well I, you know, you, I tell people to write with your heart and just edit later with your brain. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if you start editing and your inner critic gets mixed in with the writing part, sometimes the mm-hmm. story will end up being real and authentic because you're judging yourself as you're writing. You're right, because there are a lot of times and I, you know, I've always been told, just write it. You can edit later. Don't worry about, I really struggle with that. I struggle with the editing when I'm like, April, it doesn't mean it's going in, but put it out there. Just yes. put it out there and then you can go back and, and figure it out. So Yeah, and a developmental editor can really be helpful in that arena because they can read it from a totally outside view and they can say, oh, you said this on this page and then this on this page and that's kind of similar stories and okay. this could go in better order and they can really make sense of your story and put it in in a good readable form. That's cool. 
that that makes sense. You do. You need a lot of eyes looking at different aspects of it. So yeah, yeah. it's work. How did you get started with the book aspect? When did you write your your first book? And then my thought is, how did she get caught up in the sports field? So as I'm throwing all this at you, I guess I'm really just looking for a little background on were you in a different career prior to interviewing the sports figures and, you know, what were you doing prior to that? And, and how was it growing up? <laughs> so I throw, you can, you can start anywhere you want, but one question is, are you from North Carolina? Absolutely not. And okay. I know how to talk. Carolinian, I have kind of learned Southern talk. Gotcha. I can pull it out when I want to, but no, I'm originally from Southern California. Oh, born in Inglewood and raised in Orange County when it was a baby, when nothing else was there. So I was raised there, and because of I think family dysfunction and at a very critical, very critical mother. And so I mm. spent a lot of time in my room growing up because it was a safe haven for me to mm. escape. You know, now we look like the, when we, my parents used to call us a good, a wholesome, all American family, but we were anything but that. <laughs> but on okay. the outside, oh, great. We did right. go on family vacations every year. We did, you know, we did do some things, but. I spent a lot of time in my room, but I consider that now as such a blessing because that's where my love of reading and writing, I would just write. And I had an old Royal manual typewriter that my oh, dad yes. had, and that's where I learned to type. And so, you know, you have to have hearty fingers. You have to tap Oh them, my gosh. Yeah. You know? Working <laughs> so, on calluses. Exactly. Were, you, were you an only child? No, I had a younger sister who was perfect. <laughs> okay. Yes, according to perception, but mm. I I was the older one, but I was perceived as the the dumb one. I was perceived as the the weak one, and I you know the perception and the family hierarchy of dynamics. it gets complicated, doesn't it? How it what's the age difference between you and your sister? Just two years. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, but you know, I caused my mother two days of hard labor and she came out in 15 minutes. And I think in my mother's brain that just set the trajectory of perception and treatment. But blame I, for being born. Scape scapegoat. You know, I was a scapegoat child, or I felt like that. So now I consider that such a blessing because you know, people call me stubborn. But to me, it's not, it can't yeah, be like stubborn that. just sounds like you're doing what you need to do for yourself. You know? I said I had to be headstrong to survive in my family structure. So, yes, I am headstrong. Yes, I'll just say that. Well, and, you know, saying stubborn makes it sound like a negative, and it's not. It's, in my it's book, not it's really not a negative. No, it's no. it's a positive because I had to be that way to 
survive. survive. And now, I mean, it just continues. So yes, I have very definite opinions. I say, no, I don't like that. No, I'm not going to do that. Yes. I'm, you know, I'll consider that. No, I will not go in that direction. That's perception again, you know, but I'm so blessed because that made me strong and it developed my writing and it developed my imagination. I would spend hours and hours in my room reading all the classic books. And I think that ultimately prepared me to write, you know, and you, mm -hmm. did you guys have your own bedrooms? We did. We did. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Because (laughs) I am very precise, very ultra organized and just methodical. And, you know, my sister wasn't like that. And so I'm so, you know, I'm I'm that way naturally. So were you into sports as you were growing up? I couldn't (laughs) play sports for the life of me. I was underdeveloped and just... Not, it wasn't, I was not talented at sports whatsoever. <laughs> okay. When I was in high school, I was in the living room at my grandparents' house with all the menfolk of the family watching NFL football, watching oh. fight Foreman and Liston. Oh, and wow. <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm that old. I love them. I love watching sports. And so that grew my love of sports. And when I started my business, I was like, what's going to be my, who do I want as a target market? And I naturally gravitated to wow. NFL, mostly NBA. And I just printed out lists of all NFL teams, all NBA teams. And I just went on LinkedIn, A to Z on those teams and just connected with people. And I love the mentality of, wow. A lot of these guys were told you're too slow you're too, you know, small, you're too short, you're too this or that. And I was told that all my life. So I think it resonated that you were told that yet. Look what field you are, you are on. Look right. what you're on now. And so right. I think there was a connection there. I can talk football. I can talk. Well, NFL. exactly. Yeah. Did you go to college after high school or? I tell people, see these books behind me? I have a PhD in life experience from Absolutely. the school. And there you go. And there you go. I am a reader and that's where my education, I read a lot of uh, self-help books, a lot of motivational books, a lot of how-to mm-hmm. books. I'm reading mm-hmm. Dr. John Deloney's Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. listen to him every single day. And yeah. that's where my education has come from. When did you, I guess I'm trying to see, you said you went on LinkedIn one day. Was that like several years ago or was it after high school that, you know, I'm just trying to fill in the gaps of from that to. Yeah, there's a big gap. (laughs) Right At 20 years old, I got married and I was married 23 years. I was a stay at home mom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, let me just say, I have never, ever wanted to be married. That just sounds <laughs> horrible to me, but that's, <laughs> wow. That's what I was groomed. I, I was told you're not smart, so you better find a man to take care of you. And so, oh. but I, ironically, in that statement, 
I am really good at keeping a house. I'm really, I love cooking, cleaning up, keeping the house clean and tidy, doing all the paperwork. I'm natural. Well, that, that. that takes skill. I'm sorry. It takes skill and work, honestly. It does. But I loved it. But that's what I did for 23 years. You know, okay. I had a daughter in 81 and a son in 84. And so my kids are 42 and 39. And I've been divorced this year as long as I was married, 23 years. Wow. Wow. Yes. And was it a healthy marriage, do you think? No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. What are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that I got oh, married gosh. away from my parents. And the overbearing, the controlling, all that. And well, and the negativity. Uh, negativity. And it wasn't all bad. All 23 years were not all bad. But right. I didn't yes. know who I was I, at 20 years old, you know, never yeah. went to college. So I didn't know who I was. And I was like, I'm staying until, I mean, yeah. until death do you part. So right. when, when he decided to, it was over. And he went on. I was like sick the whole first year. I didn't know how to be single. I had never been single. And so on your own completely. Yeah. Never been on my own. So I cried that whole first year. I was sick constantly the whole first year. And then I read, you know, books, books like boundaries, books like women who try too hard, changes that heal and yeah after just trying to find a way to to, yeah. to be where you were yeah and it That's- was again and I think the theme is blessing because it was ultimately the best thing that ever happened to me in that mm-hmm. once I healed and once I found out who I am I ended up like I like who I am as a person that's great always under construction always right movement all right, right. I now at 66 years old, I love life <laughs> and I'm so awesome. thankful. Awesome. You said a year or so after the end of your marriage that you fell in love with someone that was not a kind <laughs> human being. Yeah. Well, it was a few years after, I would say, less than a handful, okay. less than a handful of years afterward. And I decided to go online. Yeah, what's out there? Get yeah, you know, date for the first time, really. Yeah, I met somebody online. In part two of my interview with Michelle, she shares her encounters with men who are scammers and fraudsters, and she's written a book about her experience, as well as others who have been victims. Thank you for joining me today on Living in Midbloom. I hope you found this episode insightful, meaningful, and maybe it's given you something to think about. I invite you to share your positive reviews or ideas on topics you would like me to touch on by leaving your comments on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Podchaser, or Podcast Addict. We are all divine beings who just want to be seen, heard, and loved. Have a beautiful day.